The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Attention, students of Vince Lombardi High School. I am Miss Togar, your new principal, and I'm here to go over some of the new school protocol. All ladies must wear skirts below the knees. All young men must beat it, pinhead. Who let you hoodlums in here? And who the hell do you think you are? Dee Dee, Marky, Johnny and Joey. It's time to beat on this brat with a baseball bat. What? What? Oh, no. Rock and Roll High School is now in session. Class dismissed. to see here podcast episode 41 podcast is in session principal morris over here and with me my learned colleagues senior lecturer bernard stickwell good evening good evening class and blackboard monitor mr tim merrill (laughs) there'll be no tardiness in my class you're listening to See Here Podcast, episode 41, in case I hadn't mentioned it. And even if I had mentioned it, you're still listening to episode 41 of the See Here Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. 
We are the podcast where we talk about music-related films. So if this is your first time joining us, thank you very much. I think this is a really great episode for you to be joining us for the first time because we're going to have a lot of fun with this one. And if you've been with us for all previous 40 episodes, well, then you get to go home early. Thank you very much. The film we're going to be discussing, as Tim has already indicated, is Rock and Roll High School. So we're going to play the trailer, have a little bit of fun, go out, get a drink, smoke in the boys' room or in the girls' room if you're so inclined, and we'll be back to discuss a little bit of Ramones and Riff Randall. You're listening to see here. It's 1980. Welcome to Rock and Roll High School. Rock and Roll High School? Do you want I am Miss Togar, and I am the new principal of this school. And who are you? I'm Riff Randall, rock and roller. The only girl I ever dream about at night is Riff. I've done more detentions than anyone in the school's history. Are you a virgin? Oh. How about a cheerleader? Nice set of pom-poms. Term wanted Riff. But Rip wanted to live a rock and roll fantasy to the music of her favorite group. The hottest band this side of the Iron Curtain, the Ramones! You have managed to upset the entire school with this godforsaken noise. Things sure have changed since we got kicked out of high school. Hey, come on, you guys! They tried to stop their music, but the kids got wrecked and rocked the school. I just talked to the chief of police. He's going to storm the building. School, the school where the students rule. Could your school be next? Hi, this is Jeremy from the Podcast We Listen To podcast. I wanted to take a second to talk to you about a thing that we're putting together called PodCon 2018. This is a convention of podcast listeners, for podcast listeners, and by podcast listeners. And yeah, hosts are listeners too. I listen all day long. This is going to be the fall of 2018 in New Orleans, and it's going to be a blast. It's being put together by myself, members of the podcast we listen to Facebook group, and hosts of several of your favorite shows, including Dina from Twisted Philly and Allie from Insight. Fall of 2018 gives us time to put it together right. We're really looking forward to it. There is so much excitement. The podcast we listen to Facebook group is blowing up over it. For more information, you can join the podcast we listen to Facebook group, or you can follow at PodCon2018 on Twitter. And as soon as we finalize more details, we will put those out there for you. In the meantime, just keep listening to your favorite shows, and you'll probably hear something about it. Okay, file and orderly. Yep, everyone at your seats. You're back with See Here Podcast, episode 41. Today's film is Rock and Roll High School, directed by Alan Arkush, produced more famously, though, by one Mr. Roger Corman. The film came out in 1979. The writers 
for the film. Richard Whitley and Russ, I'm not sure if I've got this right, Devonch, Devonch, I think that's it, how you pronounce, and Joseph McBride starring PJ Souls as Riff Randall. Rock and Roller. Vincent Van Patten, who will probably talk a little bit about another school film that he made a few years later, but not quite as the same dorky character that he plays here. Clint Howard, the better-looking brother of two very famous showbiz brothers. Day Young, the wonderful Mary Warrenov, and Paul Bartel. And I'm, I'm missing someone. Oh, yeah, the Ramones. Okay. One, two, three, four. There's a cast. That's quite there's a cast. cast of characters as well. Yeah, there's a whole mess of people in there. Obviously. Do not know who I am. I am Miss Togar, and I am the new principal of this school. Let's give the basic plot as if you haven't seen it and as if you need it, but I'll read it anyway. This is from IMDb. A group of rock music-loving students, with the help of the Ramones, take over this school to combat its newly installed oppressive administration. Eh, not quite right, but who cares? All right, Tim, this was your choice. It seems like a superfluous question, but what made you pick it? Well, funny thing was that, you know, my introduction to the Ramones, believe it or not, was before video was actually classified as video. I remember seeing on Don Kirshner's rock concert, they'd play these extended, you know, film movie. I mean, music movies like, you know, which were technically videos, you know, before that, before they were like Alice Cooper's elected. There was a bunch of them that were done in the 70s. You know, they were just the precursor to the whole video era. And the one that got me was Rock and Roll High School. That was the first time I'd ever heard the Ramones, and I had no idea. And you might laugh at this because of the stupidity of youth, but I thought these guys were all Mexican. Because I, th- <laughs> I thought they were... I thought, they thought were Ramon called- was their first name. Yeah, I thought, no, Johnny, Johnny Ramon, and then D.D. Ramon, and then I, I thought they were all Mexican dudes, right? But then friends of mine actually went to the drive-in and saw this, and I didn't get to see it, but they saw it when it dropped. And it was a film that, you know, for a long time, it was kind of, you know, relegated to uh, obscurity until the video era came and, you know, they put it out. And then you used to be able to see this uh, every either Friday or Saturday night on late night cable television. It was a big staple of like Toronto TV. Toronto used to have this thing called late night, uh, late great movies where they put on a movie at 2 a.m. Just when everybody's coming home from partying. So it was like that movie that could, you know, you still couldn't sleep, but you still uh, wanted to keep the neighbors up. So there was something to watch. It's a film that it's a hell of a lot of fun. And even if you you really don't know anything about the Ramones and you do think they're Mexican, (laughs) there's still something that you can get out of this. You know, it's an absolute blast. And I think that, you know, for everything that Roger Corman's name has been tied to, this is a film that should be recognized, you know, up there with Piranha and everything else that Corman touched with the involvement of uh, Alan Arkish, you know, the director and Joe Donnie. What I think they tried to do with this was it's almost like a punk rock Grease. Tell me about it. Morris, I think you and I were talking earlier in the week about those 50s juvenile delinquent films, the the ones they tried to tie music to, you know, like Blackboard Jungle and Rock Around the Clock. And there was a lot of these films from the 50s, I think, that this film is an actually uh, a tribute to. Mm. The whole thing is, too, is that they they wanted to have, like with Grease, 
that soundtrack that is basically the centerpiece of the whole film, you know, and, and that's the same thing with this, is that they wanted the, a score that they could hawk with the film. So I don't think it was much that the film was, the the uh, soundtrack was the market for the film, but I think the film was market for the soundtrack. Right. So you've already gone and said it's sort of like a punk rock Grease, and it certainly had the humor and the zaniness that Grease, which was the earlier film and certainly earlier musical, had. But I'd say that rock and roll high school is a subversive film using humor for it and you know if you don't think that humor can be subversive then look at the marx brothers i don't know what they have to say it makes no difference anyway whatever it is i'm against it no matter what it is or who commenced it i'm against it do you guys sort of see this as a subversive film? Don't know. I mean, it's subversive in the fact that it's fulfilling all those dreams that teenagers would probably have about their school, you know, not putting up with the authority and, spoiler alert here, basically taking over the school and blowing it up at the end. It's in the trailer, so you know, no it's, spoiler. It's, 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 I mean, you know, it is uh, rebelling against authority and, uh, you know, thus society. So I guess in that respect, you could say it's subversive. I don't know. It's, what do you think, Tim? It's kind of funny because it, it takes me back to memories of my own public school. Whenever the summer vacation would begin, our teacher would actually let one guy bought the 45 of Alice Cooper schools out. Well, we got no choice. the teacher would actually let us play it on those big block record players and right before right before we left for summer we went off for the summer you know the last thing we got to do at the end of the day was to play alice cooper schools out you know and we all felt like we were just being so deviant you know it's just oh yeah man like you know to hell with school we're going off on vacation forever you know and it's and it does like the film does kind of revel in that there's a bit in the film where they're in the locker room and uh, Riff Randall's talking to the, the girls about skipping school to go see the Ramones. Boy, I wish we could see them this Thursday at their concert. So what's stopping you? We can't cut classes to stand in line for tickets. That's right. Oh, please. Ten years from now, no one will care if you've ever been to high school, much less skipped a few classes. You all ask as if everything's so important around here. I mean, just because Togar is stuck in the 50s doesn't mean there isn't life after high school, you know. I mean, I've got my own future to think about. I know I can write for the Ramones. All I've got to do is get my songs to them. And then the girls are like, what if we get punished? Or, what? Are, you know, like, we're, we're going to get nailed for it. And she goes, you know, you're going to remember this for the rest of your life. You know, like, this is your life. We're young. You know, we, we got to be free. We, You know, like, this is, this is what we're meant to do. This is our destiny. So I think, you know, there is a lot of subversion in this film, too. It's quite cartoonish. It's not oh, yeah. sort of mean-spirited, is it? No, no. It, Miss Togor is very much a kind of sort of stereotypical kind of monster-type creature in a way. Right. You know, and, and and the lines are drawn between good and bad. And But the, like I say, there's no real mean-spirited. What you're saying about the, there's no mean-spiritedness about it and everything, really, when you think about it, to me, 
this film totally comes across almost like a Mad Magazine cartoon. Absolutely, that mm-hmm. you just you couldn't have summed it up better. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a Mad Magazine cartoon. I mean, with more Drucker, like one of uh, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, the whole thing is just well, you know, going from this little snippet of humor to that little snippet of humor to that little snippet of humor. Just the yeah. way that Mad would have those little caption bubbles. It's you know, of, it's packed full, isn't it? There's lots of little gags going on in the background, right. and there's that right, re- right. recurring character who keeps getting beaten up. <laughs> or uh, sort of locked <laughs> the in locker. the trophy cabinet or whatever. No, not the locker. Anything but the locker. I laughed how everybody's supposed to be in high school is like, you know, 30 years old. Yeah, that's well, always the case with the high school films in the States, though, isn't it? Absolutely. Bernie, you went and said something about Miss Togar, and she comes across as, you know, the very stereotypical American school film type of principle. And yet there's one difference that I sort of thought about, especially in the light of a very recent Projection Booth episode where they were talking about Mummy Dearest, and that was, I would have thought that her character would have been far more prone to wild outbursts and she was always very low rumbling or very menacing mary warrenoff is not an explosive type of actress she's very much you will bring riff randall to me I, and I, I think other films might have had her in a more joan sort of Craw- over the top kind joan of, crawford yeah, over yeah. the top no wire hangers ever there will be no wire hangers here at this school yeah. no. you know she embodies uh, the establishment doesn't she she's all she's grey and all the rules are set in concrete you can't mess right. around with this stuff but at the same time it's all very kind of level headed and you know like you're saying Morris not over the top or angsty which you know it's kind of more menacing and more realistic in a way isn't it I right. guess as realistic as you get not to sound like a pig here or anything but she kind of reminds me of those the warden in those wicked warden films yeah <laughs> Yeah, I totally get You know, that. I mean, like, she's, like, she's, and, and those two yeah. little toadies, the two little hall monitors she has yeah, yeah. are, like, her little subs, you know, and she's, like, the dom, you know, and you can just see her yeah. with a feathered riding crop, you know, and just, like, you know, <laughs> you two, out of my office, now. Well, one of them keeps writing that kind of uh, oh, yeah. fan fiction. Right. About right. <laughs> my darling Evelyn, how I long for the feel of your luscious thighs wrapped around. He looks like Buzz Osborne out of the Melvins. I just had this thought yeah. crop into my head. This is a Roger Corman school film equivalent of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Please do, Billy. Explain everything. Mary Warrenov is completely Nurse Ratchet. Yeah. And those two little yeah. toadies are like uh, Washington and I forgot the, the name of the other nurse, but uh, and Riff Randall yeah. is completely Randall Patrick McMurphy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Hey guys, you know, people say that your music is loud and destructive and lethal to mice, but. I think you're the Beethovens of our time. I wanted to talk a little bit about the pre-production history of the film. I caught some of the commentary on the film and read uh, a couple of really interesting interviews with Alan Arkush. I think it's pretty much common knowledge that Corman originally wanted to make a film to cash in on the success of Saturday Night Fever. and yeah, he wanted from... to call it Disco High, didn't he? Correct. What I didn't know is that it started actually even earlier than that, and he asked Arkush to create a film called Girls' Gym. And you can only imagine that it would have been a very, very different type <laughs> of film. Corman, Corman said to Arkush to include nude gymnastics now i don't know if we'd still be talking about this film today it would not have been pg film again not to sound like a pig i mean but when you see those uh, girls in the 
gym in there, you know, there's not a lot left up to the imagination, too. As we were saying earlier, the fact that this film isn't mean-spirited, it's quite wholesome in a way as well, because it, it kind of goes to a certain point, but it doesn't go beyond that. So there's yeah. a lot of opportunities where you could imagine naked bodies, and they kind of don't do it at all, I don't think. I don't think there's any no, nudity in no, it, is there? No. The fantasy sequence, which we're going to talk about, I'm sure, a little bit further down the oh, track. Oh, sure, okay, yeah. Yep, uh, but, yeah. That not, but even that's very, very mild. The other interesting thing about that one of the famous stories is that they approach Cheap Trick to be the band that was going to be mm-hmm. the centre of the film but they wanted too much money but what I didn't know was that another f- really favourite band of mine The Tubes had been approached to make this film I think really that going with the Ramones I mean it's, everything is obvious in hindsight but as much as I love the tubes, and they're a very, very theatrical band, but they would have made the film a lot more about the tubes. And really, when it comes down to it, this is Riff Randall's story. It's not the Ramones' story. I mean, they, they're they a very strong part of it, and right. they're the reason for her obsession. Right. But and when, whenever they're on screen, they own it. But it is Riff Randall's story. And if you don't like it, you can put it where the monkey puts the nuts. I'm speaking of the soundtrack and music in this there's one thing that always got me. At the beginning of the film, when you're actually getting to see um, Kate Rambeau, when she basically meets Van Patten's character, there's a song that's playing, and I swore the first time I heard it that it was Paul McCartney. Did we meet somewhere before? It is, isn't it? That's, yes, that's it, what I thought. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. That, it was a song that was originally offered for Warren Beatty's film Heaven Can Wait, and it's never been on an official Paul McCartney or Wings album. He'd been wanting to put together an album of odds and sods called Cold Cuts, and if you look in the bootleg circles, you can get it that way, but it has never officially been released. I don't even think it's on the Rock and Roll High School soundtrack album. I always thought, well, how the hell did they manage to get McCartney on there? Because, you know, for the budget of the film, I mean, like that would have been the percentage of the, the whole budget sure, just yeah, getting the yeah. one track. And, it, and I always thought that might have been somebody else, but it didn't. You know, that seems like sounds like McCartney to me. Well, I think I, I sort of wanted to talk a little bit about the music as well. When you think about, look, who else is on the soundtrack? You know, you've got Fleetwood Max Albatross at one point, and you've got Chuck right. Berry's School yeah. Days. And as well as yep, all the Brownsville Station, stuff, yeah, yeah. Um, smoking in the boys' room, and really, I mean, in 2017, you would never get all of those songs. Uh, you might get, you know, one, if, if anything. And a Corman film, if, if for nothing else, it's known for its budget. And right. really, here we are looking at this and thinking, how the hell did he get all these songs? That's what it's insane when you consider it. Different times, yeah. Sorry, yeah. That, the song, the McCartney and Wings song, was called "Did We Meet Somewhere Before?" And yeah, he'd offered it to. Uh, Warren Beatty for Heaven Can Wait and crazy they knocked him back I mean regardless of whether you like the song or you don't like the song but Warren Beatty was knocking back Paul McCartney and Wings which was you know one of the biggest bands on the planet and certainly McCartney and ex-Beatle who the hell was Warren Beatty thinking that he was so Corman stuck up his hand and said look I'll take it if you want to give it to us so (laughs) so that's amazing and it ends up in Rock and Roll High School that's kind of far out that's pretty bizarre isn't it and that's that's another interesting thing about the use of music in the film okay obviously this is a story about the Ramones and the Ramones are like the new guard of rock and roll 
alcohol and you know there's all these stories about how in the 70s through art rock and prog rock punk was a reaction to rock and roll becoming bloated and stadium bands and artists being paid millions and millions of dollars right they pissed on all the keyboards and capes correct yeah, yeah. but it's interesting to see that really in the end the film is a celebration of music and they weren't using wings as a means of saying oh listen to this old shit and the Ramones is so much better it's just a song that's on the soundtrack an albatross by Fleetwood Mac okay great right. it was the blues Fleetwood Mac it wasn't the Stevie Nicks Fleetwood right. Christy McVie Fleetwood Mac it was still that name it was all these classic rock songs all these classic rock bands and they fitted in to the story well, as um, it were it's rock and roll high school it's not punk high school is it and the fact that Riff Randall is Riff Randall rock and roller not Riff Randall punk and the, I don't think the Ramones are referred to as punk at all they, I don't even know no. if the word punk comes up in the film well, listen to the songs in the film I mean there's a lot of people who've gone and said well the Ramones were never really a punk band and we'll leave that debate for some other forum but certainly the songs that they're playing Sheena is a punk rocker it's a Beach Boys mm-hmm. song I Want You Around is a great birds-like ballad, if you will. Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? It totally reminds me of, like, needles and pins. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Which, um... Yeah, I get that, yeah. yeah, Which they cut. These songs are just great celebration of the history of rock and roll music and pop music. Uh, And the us and them is us, the, the students versus them the teachers the establishment rather than yeah, one yeah, side yeah, of music yeah. versus another side of music and I, I think that's a wonderful refreshing right. thing um, well I think one thing that's kind of nice that you're pointing at was about soundtracks is that back in the 70s and 80s all a lot of films there was such a diversity of artists in soundtracks you know because the soundtracks back then because of the success of Saturday Night Fever like you said in Greece and uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show a lot of things there needed to be they wanted to cover all the bases so I think you know they wanted to have something for everyone in these soundtracks if you didn't like the Ramones there was Cheap Trick if you didn't like Cheap Trick then there was Fleetwood Mac if you didn't like Fleetwood Mac then there was Brownsville I mean like or Chuck Berry they wanted to basically cover all their bases and I think that's what they try to do well particularly this coming from Corman the uh, king of exploitation it's about almost lowest common denominator and uh, you know appealing to more people to make as much as you can with as little money thrown in at the front end so not to say that you know this is a lowest common denominator movie but more people you appeal to the better you know well you heard it folks miss toger has just given the students a rock and roll high an ultimatum a classic confrontation between mindless authority and the rebellious nature of youth the moment of truth is at hand what will these kids do next i want to come back to a topic that we started on like a you know a few minutes ago and sort of about teenage rebellion in films and I, I was sort of thinking about that really as far as schools go there's maybe only been two or three stories told obviously you know the detail being a variation but i think there's two or three stories that are told in school up in the morning and out to school the teacher 
teacher is teaching the golden rule. American history and practical man. You study him hard, hoping to pass. Working your fingers right down to the bone. The guy behind you won't leave you alone. You've got the films where the teacher is the inspiration. So films like Stand and Deliver or, or maybe not so much an inspiration, although maybe is by the end, Blackboard Jungle. To Sir With Love. To Sir With Love, yeah, absolutely. If you want to go down the television route, then there's you know, Welcome Back, Cotter. You know, the, the teacher is the inspirational guy, the, the hero. Or you can also get the films where the teacher is still the good guy, but the students rebel against him like as if in a, in a threatening sort of way. So there's right. Class in 1984, which I mentioned before, and right. starting once again, Dick Van Patten, who's a threat rather than the dorky jock. Vincent Van Patten, you mean? Oh, sorry, so did I, oh, sorry Vincent Van Patten, my, my mistake. And also... Uh, Dick Van Patten was his dad. His dad, yeah. that's right. Well, I don't know whether you guys are fans of The Wire, but season four of The Wire was all set in... Of course, yeah, yeah. In, in a yeah. school. And once again, you know, the, the uphill battle that Przbelewski faces against his students. But then there's also the films where the students are encouraged basically to stick it to the man as it were and you know School of Rock right. is uh, Dead, a, a Dead Poet example. Society Dead Poet Society but Rock and Roll High School certainly fits in the category where the students are encouraged at least filmically to stick it to the man there's no right. doubt that I keep wanting to say Nurse Toga because I'm thinking of Nurse Ratchet <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Principal now, Toga is this isn't a school film but one film that I could compare this to and you might have seen this Bernie you know I bet, I, I bet I had the exact same one in my mind. Go on, yeah. Go Over on. the Edge. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know this film, Horace? No, I don't. Over the Edge, it was a film, I think it came out around the same time, and it was about a group of kids that were living in a suburban development community. I think it was out in California, was it, at Bernie? I believe so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like where they started suburbia, and so yeah. these kids are out in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing for them to do. Nobody's supporting these kids. All the kids want to do is basically ride dirt bikes, get high and listen to music, right? And then things happen and then the, the local community school says, you know, like these kids are getting unruly. There's something we got to do about the kids. And then the community center, they want to shut it down and they provide these kids with an alternate to kind of uh, go and do their thing. But it's really nothing at all. And it's more of a dramatic film, but it's great. It's quite dark, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But I think it yeah. would be, it's a really good comparative piece, though, to Rock and Roll High School. Directed by Tim Hunter, who went on to make River's Edge, River's Edge yeah. which is one of my favourites. From your description of that film, it certainly sounds like it fits into the stand and deliver model of the film where the kids can potentially do great. They're on the wrong side of the tracks. No one believes in them but one guy. There's not even really one guy in this film. It's just kind of, you know a bunch yeah. of kids that are basically supporting themselves. There's nobody that's really believing in them or nobody giving them. It, it, it's like that us versus them. Like you're saying, the establishment versus youth. It's all about that disconnect between one generation and another, and they don't know how to deal with the kids anymore because, you know, the whole suburban thing and yeah. and so forth. So it's almost like they're just given up on and they're, you know, they're not fitting into the molds that uh, they're trying to be forced into. So what else do you do? Well, it sounds a little bit like that film so, that you brought to the show maybe like over a year ago, Bernie Suburbia. Suburbia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there you go. It's, yeah, again, you can make those comparisons definitely, yeah. Sure. Maybe not quite as bleak as that, but certainly a long those lines yeah this is the big time girly 
This is rock and roll. Can we talk about a couple of certainly our great favourite scenes in this film? Ultimately, this, whilst there is a narrative that goes over the course of the film, but there are certainly some set pieces that really make this film great, certainly in my mind. And actually, I've got to say that even though this is Riff Randall's film and there's a lot of wonderful things going on there involving her in the story, but for me, the two greatest sequences in the film both involve the Ramones. I've already sort of gone to mention one of them, and that's the fantasy sequence with the band serenading Riff in her bedroom. I want you red. song I Want You Around. It's funny and it's sweet all at once. For all of Riff's idolizing of the band, it's as a symbol of her love of rock and roll and it's really an inspiration for her to write her own music. She idolizes the band but really what makes this film different, she's not a groupie like this other character Angel Dust that comes into the film. She loves mm-hmm. the Ramones and says I want to be your peer and later on in the film they crown her they give her the, they give her a leather jacket she becomes their peer they're, they're proud of her because they say the honorary oh, Ramon the, yeah. honor, the honorary Ramon Riff Ramon this scene is probably as close as it comes to just lust after her musical idols when she goes into the shower and Dee Dee's playing guitar in the shower yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he must have loved doing that scene. Sorry, oh, yeah. Dude. Yeah, d- despite the fact that she's, you know, she's kind of undressing and getting in the shower whilst they're sort of uh, uh, singing to her. It's kind of strangely chaste. It's not creepy yes. or weird or overly sexy. There's a, a sweet sort of innocence to it. And for me, I think the other really fantastic scene of the film is the one very close to the end where uh, the Ramones are in the school and the, the students are running amok while all the authority are trying to smoke them out of the school. You have that scene where they're on the float and they're playing Do You Want to Dance, the old Bobby Freeman tune. Do you Mr. McGree, played just so wonderfully by Paul Bartel, is you know, dancing along with them, and he's one of the kids. He's one of the students. <laughs> and I, I read where Alan Arkush said that this scene was a tribute to uh, Vincent Minnelli and to Busby Berkeley. I mean, look, my whole experience of Berkeley is just watching the one film, Gold Diggers of 1933, and the image in my head is more of like tightly choreographed numbers with overhead shots of women in geometric shapes. But I, I guess it's more about the spirit here. And I just love you. It doesn't matter whether you're a jock, whether you're a cheerleader, whether you're a nerd. Everyone right. celebrates the Ramones. And that's Riff's triumph. She right. does, she doesn't pick anyone. They're all just, you like the Ramones? Right, you're in my gang. That's fine. And they're all celebrating the music. That's yeah. what ties them together. I, I just, I adore that scene. It's probably as favorite a scene in cinema of anything that I've ever watched. I just adore it. The ending is almost the same way that Blazing Saddles ends. <laughs> 
No, I'm just saying that they've got, like you just said, people from all walks and they're all together and it's just absolute chaos, right? And it's just, you know, he's there, she's there, like they're all there and they're just in the midst of it, you know? And I just think it's funny. Like It just reminds me of the ending of Blazing Saddles. But I mean, there are there are so many scenes in this film, though, too, that I think are is hilarious. You know, like, the, for example, with the beginning when they're, uh, she's, Togar is telling uh, the staff to honor uh, and salute uh, the last principal. As you all know, I am here to replace Professor Webb, who is unable to continue his duties as the chief administrator of this school. And now I would like us all to rise and salute Professor Webb for his wonderful, gallant effort. And you see them spoon-feeding this guy, Pablo. And then finally, you know, it's like his face drops into the pool. I love that. He's there with a straight jacket on in a wheelchair, isn't he? Right, 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 right. And the other one, too, that I love, they go into the guys that are smoking in the boys' room. Let me tell you about it. into the guy's John and it's there the Clint Howard has his office set up in there and you see everybody standing in line you know it's <laughs> yeah yeah Dr. Equalbauer right particularly like the concert where people are uh, you know getting their tickets clipped and coming in and that giant mice walks in oh I'm sorry we don't let any more mice in here they've been exploding all over the place oh you got headphones great great and uh Earlier in the film, Miss Togar shows the evils of uh, rock and roll and the Ramones by playing some Ramones to a mouse that explodes. And then at the concert later on, this giant mouse walks in and the guy on the door says, oh, you can't come in, man, because the Ramones make mice explode. And he's like, oh, no, I've got my headphones. He's got these big headphones on. Right, 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 right. <laughs> like, oh, you're cool. And then he walks in. And then throughout the concert, you just see this giant mouse dancing amongst everybody else. I just thought that was genius. That was fantastic. What I like about a lot of the humour in this film is it probably pays some sort of respect to the creative crew behind the Kentucky Fried movie because it's not just uh, yeah, yeah. not just going for obvious laughs they're doing these subversive things like the mouse you know wearing the headphones so it doesn't explode or where first the Vincent Van Patten character walks into the toilet which is already very surreal in itself but when he walks in yeah, yeah. it's like he's walked into the Doctor Who TARDIS it's right, this yeah. big comfy office rather than a toilet cubicle and all these little things are the sorts of humorous touches that really would have fitted in very nicely into uh, the Kentucky right. Fried movie but it goes back to like I was saying like Mad Magazine like that's just exactly the way they would present things but I was going to say that there's a lot of people in the film that are not credited that were actually connected to the Ramones like their manager uh said Monty Mel- Melman I think it was he's the guy who plays their manager when Riff meets him how many times do I have to tell you no pizza for you Joey more wheat German riboflavin yeah come on Joey eat good Herbie you know. Brown huh yeah 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 and yeah, then, yeah. And, and then there's another guy that actually um I think he's one of the security dudes Artie Vega 
And Arturo Vega was... Oh, wait. Was, I didn't he, realize that was him. Yeah, he's in that, too. And, I mean, he was the guy who actually created the legendary, you know, logo for the Ramones. Huh. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and he's considered kind of like the fifth Ramon, you know, in many ways. He's he's a big one in the family. And then also in the crowd, there is Rodney Bigenheimer's in the crowd. And he's Darby Crash. Darby Crash. Yeah. He's in it. There's a whole mess of people in this. There are, Joe Donnay's in oh, it, shit. uncredited. Hmm. Most of the whole... germs are in it. Lorna yeah, Doom's yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. 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 Dinah whole... Cancer is in yeah. there. Yeah, from 45 Grave. There's a whole wow. mess of people that are really, you know, you don't even realize. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think the genius of the film, and I don't know whether this was just catching lightning in a bottle, but we were talking about all the, the little sort of humorous elements that are just thrown in there. And there's so much of it from the, the kind of surreal to the kind of sight gags to everything. And it's it's just it's almost like they're throwing them at you constantly. But what's amazing about the film is that they pretty much all land. There's no real clunkers in there. Do you know what I mean? It's sure. um, for them to, to kind of get all that right. There's nothing that seems awkward in the film. There's nothing Absolutely that really nothing. seems like it just stand, stands out and kind of like... Meh. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. I think- in a weird way, it just feels like you're dropped into this completely sort of realised world where this is how it is, you know? That's a really rare combination because you've already gone and said, Bernie, that it was a sweet film and it certainly is. It's just not mean-spirited. I think, you know... The it's not mean-spirited. Might... Yeah, and, yeah, and, at and all, yeah. And I think I might, you know, use a descriptive term of it's sweet as well and yet to still have all those yeah. gags go really land because often you might sort of think, well, we're going to have a really uh, hard, dark comedy here and that means that some people are not going to come out alive <laughs> to get these jokes to land their target. Right. And yet <laughs> it, it shows that you can do both. I mean, this might have sort of been swept away as just yeah, another cheapy Roger Corman film and let's not read too much into it, but for sure this is a film that I think should be celebrated by you know every generation who comes out after it i don't think i'm sort of going too over the top oh, yeah. to say that it celebrates the music it celebrates rock and roll and it is it's funny and it, it is subversive talking about favorite scenes i was going to say one thing that i loved was really great was even before you know the age of cg is when you get the one um, when togar tells her two toadies to go and get a hold of mr mcgrath uh, yeah, sorry yeah. mcgree and go in and go and get a hold of the other teacher the music teacher and the other one and the guy can't even get off his ass to send him a note who holds it up in a paper airplane and fires it out the window and i thought that was almost like the beginning of The Simpsons. Yeah. You, you kind of see it go out the window, and then it goes on its path, and then it's going along this, you know, going through one door, and then somebody opens the door, and you see it go, and then the next thing you know, it just right into his ear. I'm like, I, I, I just thought that was awesome. Like that. Yeah, I, I thought that was great. That was one of my favorite scenes. I think pretty much every scene with Mr. McGree, Paul Bartel, right, was uh, was fantastic. He I would was, have he was a real more. joy throughout the whole thing. I was going to say about the Ramones themselves. The roles that they're playing in the film, obviously, you know, these guys are not actors, 
But it just seems like they're so indifferent about just being there. It's just sort of like, yeah, we're here. Yeah. Yeah, they're all just taking it in their stride, aren't they? It's right, like, yeah. yeah, this is day to day with the Ramones. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, it seems like they can just give a shit. This is what it's always been. That's who the Ramones are. I mean, whenever you see them live, they just come out on stage and it wouldn't be like, we're going to rock your asses off. It's like, hey, we're the Ramones. Boom. <laughs> That's it. You know, like there's no, there's no fanfare. There's no like, are you ready? It's like, no, no, they just come out. Again, that's the kind of the lightning being caught in the bottle with this film, because I think if it was anyone other than the Ramones, it wouldn't have worked as well as it does. But having said that, if it was just the Ramones with a different kind of framework about it, it wouldn't have been anywhere near as good. So it's just all these factors coming together and it just Mm -hmm. kind of almost being the perfect storm, I guess. It's a different sort of film to say, like, I guess the most obvious example is The Beatles in a Hard Day's Night. Tell me, uh, how did you find America? Turn left to Greenland. No, actually, we're just good friends. Has success changed your life? Yes. Are you a mod or a rocker? Um, No, I'm a mocker where they really are the focus and, and they were a fantastic comedic team and it, you know, it was a story about the early days of rock and roll but it was really more a story about the Beatles well it was scripted but in their element and it was very very comedic whereas you know, this as I said before is more about PJ Soul's character Riff Randall and her love of the Ramones so there's enough Ramones for you to sort of get to see well here they are on stage but here they are goofing off with wheat German pizza a little bit behind Behind the background without <laughs> they're almost like the kind of Hitchcock MacGuffin and that they, they kind of drive the story forward but they don't actually have a huge amount to do in the film right right next I investigated reports of loss of hearing by individuals due to the high decibel level involved in playing rock and roll music I want to come back to Paul Bartel and Mary Warrenoff for just a moment or two now I'm presuming that both of you guys are fans of uh, the film Eating Roll oh yeah do you know? I've never seen it. I've always uh, meant oh, to, and I've really? never got around to it. You have to yeah, get on. Yeah. You'll love it, Bernie. That hippie guy's not going to show up. We've thrown away $70 on this light show. Who's the 9 o'clock? Some sickie with a Great Dane. A Great Dane? $500. Oh, do we have to kill the dog, too? Probably. Yeah, no, I'm oh, sure yeah. I will. It's probably on YouTube or something at this point, so I really don't have any excuses. Look, you know to, what? Uh, check that out. Even if it's not, just go order yourself a Criterion edition of it. It's so good. Yeah, don't worry. I was just sort of thinking about this yesterday. Was the contrast between the Mary Warrenov and Paul Bartell characters in Eating Row all to Rock and Roll High School? So in Rock and Roll High School, Paul Bartell is the straight guy who eventually loosens up and he gets along well with the kids at the end and he's no longer the straight-laced character that he was at the start of the film. But Mary Warrenov is the hard-ass disciplinarian all the way through the film. And I don't think it's giving anything away to say about Eating Raul. It's the opposite. Mary Warrenov in Eating Raul starts out as straight-laced Mary Bland, but loosens up for reasons that I won't give away to you yet, Bernie. Uh, but Paul Bartel <laughs> is a character Thank who's you. straight-laced all the way through the film. But really, in both cases, they're still playing characters that are very, very true to what they do in both films. Very, very true to their popular image and I, I'm sad to say I sort of haven't seen much else I'm sure I've seen something else with Paul Bartel in it but I can't recall what there was a, a film from the 70s Private Parts I forget what else like there's there was a number of things that I've seen Bart Bartel was actually in you know a whole mess of Corman films I mean you know Death Race and um, he's in a number of other films as well I always used to get uh, Mary Warrenoff mixed up with Lynn Lowry for some reason. Oh, yeah. they don't really look alike or anything, but they I guess they were in stuff during the same sort of 70s 
kind of period. Mary Warren office in Death Race 2000. Yeah. I saw someone put a post on Facebook once saying that they confused Mary Warren of with Tim Curry. Well, how about that? <laughs> it's wow. the lips. Weirdly, I can kind of see that as well. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Oh, she's in tons of great stuff, yeah. Any other favourite scenes? Any other points that you wanted to make about the film? This is something that's a no-brainer. There's not a lot to contemplate with this film, and it's not. I'm not saying it's a it's a stupid film because it's not. It's it, but it's very, very free spirited. It's lighthearted, like drive-in fare. I mean, you can have a total blast with this film. I mean, you don't you don't have to be at a drive-in. You can just sit down in the basement with your friends with a good 5.1 surround sound speaker system and just do you want to dance? There you go, man. <laughs> and now one of your hosts for the night from the Ramones, here's Joey. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Countdown. On tonight's show, Paul McCartney, Olivia Newton-John, and that famous English act, Def Leppard. But right now, the countdown... It was just a couple of days ago that it was Joey's birthday. Oh, I think now, man, he would have been in his 60s. The last thing I want to say before we close, uh, I had a really cool Ramones story. I've seen the Ramones probably about, I don't know, eight or nine times easily. And every time was better than the last. But there was one time where they were playing a club in Toronto and it was sold out. And me and the girl that I was seeing at the time, we had tickets and we were standing in line. And all these young kids were trying to get into the show and they couldn't get in, you know, just like rock and roll high school, you know. And what happened was, you know, we go into the show and, you know, we're, I bought a T-shirt. We're standing there in the crowd. And all of a sudden I see these kids and I, you know, and there was like four of them. And I said, how, how the hell did you guys get in? You get you get scalper tickets? And they said, no, man, you're not going to believe it. And I said, what? And they said, this big Mercedes pulled out of the front. And the guy rolled down the window and said, well, where do you load in? And they said, around the side. So he says, you have to show me where to park. So they showed the guy where to park. He said, and all of a sudden he gets out. Joey gets out on the driver's side. They beat on the door, open up the door to let him in. Joey goes in to uh, basically do the show. And right as he's uh, about to close the door, he turns around and says, well, is you kids going to stand out there or are you coming in? So you automatically <laughs> just let these four kids just go in the back oh, door. Amazing. Man. And that's oh, that's cool. I mean, I, to me, that's yeah. that's who they were. You know, like that's. So, I mean, it makes me smile whenever I, I'm thinking about this film because of the whole thing about Riff Randall meeting her idols and that, you know, the kind of fiction parallel yeah. with reality, you know? Why? That's a lovely story. Awesome. If you're listening to this and you're one of the very few people who's never gotten around to seeing this, we're getting five leather jackets up each. That's our rating system for this show from one five. five. Leather, yeah, leather jackets out of five. five. Five loaves of jelly. I, I just and, want and to one say that, um, of pizza. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say that I think this film is pretty much critic proof. You can't really pick it apart. It's just wonderful. No. Everything in it works. Um, as I keep coming back to the uh, the image, but lightning in a bottle, it doesn't get any better than this. And I, if you don't like this, I don't want to be your friend, basically. <laughs> Two things I almost forgot that we completely almost overlooked. I'm sorry if I go back. I wanted to say it earlier, but do you know who the director of photography was on this, right? Uh, oh, God, it was Dean Cundy, wasn't it? Dean Cundy, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, you know, like for everything that he did, I mean, well, he actually started out with Corman and doing a lot of the, the lower end exploitation stuff. Would this and have I, been, he would have probably done this just after Halloween, wouldn't he? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And the other one I wanted to mention, too, was the, the amazing poster right, by one Mr. William Stout. Yes. Yeah. William Stout yeah. was like one of the, the best illustrators out there, at you know, and he still is. 
I mean, for all the work that he's done in so many genre movies, it's not even funny. But it's just, I love that poster. The Rock and Roll High School poster is just so definitive, you know. It really sums up the film, doesn't it? Bernie, mm-hmm. did you, was it you that put the post on the Facebook group for uh, the show of that poster on a t-shirt? Uh, oh, no, it was. Uh, no, it was actually. Yes, it was me. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. I think I'm going to, yeah. I think I'm going to go out and order, order one. I think I need that in my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> need it in my, need it. it in my I think wardrobe. I do as well. Fantastic. And- you, you can be an official Mexican too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so look, the uh, only thing that I regret about this episode is that I couldn't convince you guys to join me in a three-part harmony version of Rock and Roll High School, the theme song. This is not the first time I've spoken about the film. A few years ago, Dr. Zom joined me on Love That Album to talk about the film. And I've got to say, I didn't go back to listen to it. I have no idea. I cannot recall what I said about the film back then. But even Dr. Zom joined me in a rousing chorus of Rock and Roll High School. I wish I could convince you. See, you, you say, Morris... You say even Dr. Zom, but as we all know, Dr. Zom has actually got a hell of a voice and can sing really well. Uh, the fact yes. that me and Tim, who probably have similar effects on mice to, as the Ramones do, <laughs> are uh, declining to, uh, uh, to, to, to join you in this. And I think we're actually doing everyone a favor. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's a I don't want to speak for Bernie, but I, as far as I go, I can't even carry a note in a bucket. Oh, hell, me, me. I'm the same. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, dear. If you pardon my uh, blasphemy there. <laughs> well, I don't care about history. Rock, rock. And no, I'm not going to go any further. The halos will kick me out. And what would you have done with the school anyway? Rock the roof off it. Hit it, Marky! We're going to talk about episode 42 of C here. That will be recorded in June of 2017. And at the beginning of the year, we put out a call to our small but loyal community for requests for uh, films that they wanted us to discuss. And Barry Noble, who I feel very privileged to have made the friendship of, we've met in real life, as have you, Tim, when you came to visit us. He made the request that we cover a film written and directed by Mr. Eric Idle out of the Monty Python team. This is All You Need Is Cash, The Rattles. The parody, if you will, on the history of some other group that came out of Liverpool. Can't remember them. A little too obscure for my liking, for my taste. The Rattles, All You Need Is Cash. I think originally made for TV, but I might have seen it in the cinema here at the long gone, long departed Valhalla Cinema. But that's going to be our discussion next month, as requested by Barry. We have uh, four requests for this year. So if you didn't get a request in, but really think that there's a film you'd like us to talk about, then just keep those suggestions and we'll be good for 2018. Barry um, will be uh, talking about your film next month. Looking very forward to that. I have gone and asked someone. I don't want to mention the names just in case uh, in the last minute he can't do it. But I have gone and asked a a Beatles specialist to come and join. And I know this is a a favourite film of his. So we'll see. We do come up with another person to join our trio for uh, next month. If if we could, then we would be the Fab Four. Or as they call them in the Rattles film, the Pre-Fab Four. So uh, we'll be looking forward to talking about that (laughs) next month. So any housekeeping here, if you want to listen to the program, well, you're obviously doing so, so you know the podcast catcher of your choice, or you can get us on iTunes, or you can listen to us from seehere.podbean.com. Please, we'd be so grateful if you went and let your friends know that we exist. In the last few weeks, I'd gone and submitted the show to be uh, included as part of the TuneIn app. So if you happen to have the TuneIn app on your phone or other device of choice, then you can stream or download us from that. If you want to email us, then you can do so at seeherepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to join in the fun and talk about music-related films, then you can go to the Facebook group, which is facebook.com 
facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash C here podcast. And we've got some good things lined up. I'm trying to get maybe a couple of bonus episodes in. I've sent some requests to the directors of a couple of films. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I, I live in hope. It'd be nice to have that as uh, maybe some bonus episodes for your ear holes. Some very exciting stuff coming up, I hope. There you go. End of episode 41. It's been a blast, gents, talking about the Rock and Roll High School with y'all. So class is finished for the day. And until next time, I don't care about history because <laughs> I just want to get some kicks and Bernie and Tim just want to get some chicks. Rock, 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 It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.